As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by ColorCast. Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform free to download and to use Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on ColorCast every Friday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club 34-7. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink, spelled like Sports Drink but without the vowels, so S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you we're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? It's finally here. The opponent preview series for 2022 finally getting underway. Of course, we start with our same place uh, opponents, and this year it's the Texans, the Falcons, and the 49ers, and we got some good guests lined up uh, for you. We got some new friends and some old friends coming back to uh, to regale us with the, the story of their team and what they can look forward to uh, in 2022. Uh, always love doing uh, this series. I've been doing this, um, well, I've been doing this with guests since 2015, but I've been doing an opponent preview series, I think, since the second season of the show, which would be 2008 when this show was still called the Chicago Bears uh, Review for all my OGs uh, out there. So, you know, this is, um, as you hear me say at the start of the interview with our new friend John Crumpler, um, this is the vast wasteland of the off season where we're done with the draft. And now it's, yeah, we got some OTAs and things like then June 1st cuts in there and all the rest of that stuff. But, uh, this is that time of year where there's really nothing going on. So this is what we do to fill that void is, uh, we do the opponent previews. Uh, we get to know the people on the schedule for 2022 and, uh, you know, what they've got going on, uh, we get to meet some new friends and, and uh, you know, uh, touch base with some old ones and uh, get ready for 2022. And then and it starts here uh, with the uh, with the Houston Texans and our new friend John Crumpler from uh, the USA Today's Texans Wire uh, to help us uh, preview this. Talk about, uh, you know, Lovey taking over as head coach and Deshaun Watson. How does he feel about him getting traded? Was he surprised they were able to get as much? Uh, compensation as they got from the Browns when it was like, if you, if you go back to like early before the trade deadline in 2021 during the season, it's like, you know, it's like the asking price was coming down, you know, maybe you'll get two twos and two threes or something like that, but you're not going to get three ones and two players and, you know, three day, three picks and, you know, all that stuff for multiple 
seasons. I mean, Cleveland gave up a Herschel Walker trade to get their hands on Deshaun Watson, and he may not play for them in 2022 if it all shakes out. So, but anyway, we talk about all of that and then some. Uh, the you know Davis Mills and how he did in 2021. Is he going to be the guy in 2022 going forward and and, and everything else? So I'm excited. Just go ahead and get to it. So let's dive right in. This is myself and John Crumpler from Texans Wire previewing the 2022 Houston Texans on our very first opponent preview series episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So, kiddies, it is that time of year again. We have begun. We have entered that vast wasteland of the offseason between the draft and the start of training camp. And granted, we got OTAs and voluntary workouts and all that kind of stuff to to kind of wet our beak. But as far as like real stuff actually happening, we're in that dead part of the season. And so what do we do here at Bearstock Underground to fill in that time? We like to meet our opponents for 2022, and this is episode one of our 2022 opponent preview series. Up first, the Houston Texans, and here joining us to preview these Texans, um, our new friend, John Crumpler. John, thanks so much for coming in, man. Yeah, Larry, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad this worked out. So where can we where can we find you online, John? Uh, you guys can follow me at John H. Crumpler. I cover the Houston Texans for USA Today SMG and also do some Rockets work, but really I'm a, a football guy through and through, and it has been quite the offseason to cover the Texans. And it's been quite like a last good 16 months uh, for you yeah. guys. You're starting with Deshaun's unhappiness with his contract prior to last uh, offseason, and then, of course, the, the allegations and and all the rest of that stuff. So I guess I'll just jump right to that question then, because number one, did you think the Deshaun Watson trade was ever going to happen? And then number two, did you ever think that uh, Cesario, the GM for the Texans, was ever going to get that price tag he was asking for? And this is where my fandom's going to gleam through a little bit. I really, I always thought that trade was going to happen. I'll maintain that Sean Watson is one of the best quarterbacks I've ever watched in the NFL. Uh, obviously, the allegations had muddied that, but as soon as it was done criminally, I'm based in Atlanta. Uh, I'm at Emory Hospital, and I'm, the Falcons were coming, the Saints were coming, the yeah. Browns were coming. I kind of figured as soon as it was clear, the dude is too talented. As for that return, uh, I was I was kind of scared because they were playing with one arm tied behind their back in terms of Deshaun having that that no trade clause that was infamously given to him by Jack Easterby negotiated that contract. But honestly, a lot of us thought it would be more than that. So uh, the three first round picks were kind of the floor. I thought a, a, a quarterback of Deshaun's caliber had never been available for trade, especially at that age. And, you know, Casario handled it beautifully, making teams say that they would trade the minimum before he was allowed, that they were allowed to talk to Deshaun. Uh, I was not surprised he was traded. And I'm really not surprised at what they got. I mean, I'm I'm not surprised that he was traded. Um, I was surprised that they got that return because it's still kind of up in the air what's going to happen to him. You know, as far as uh, you know, the the NFL and conducting their investigation, will there be a suspension? You know, or anything uh, like that? And you know, how long will the suspension last? And and uh, and everything. I mean, and I, I remember there were there were rumors. I mean, take take that for what you will, but rumors during the season when Houston was trying to offload him to like the Dolphins 
or something that the price tag was coming down because it just wasn't looking good as far as getting him out of town. And the leverage was more in the people that were trying to acquire him than it was for Cesario having the player everybody wanted. Well, uh, for Cesario, by the Cassario, way. Cesario, excuse um, me. Cesario. Um, the, the price originally when he demanded a trade, so I, I was in a I was in medical school exam late January when Schefter tweeted out that Deshaun wanted to be moved. And kind of the consensus was it was going to take two young players, three first-round picks, yeah. and two day two picks. So five picks, two players. So really, there there was some leverage operating that. And I think he probably was worked at back in January 2021 before the allegations. He'd been squeaky clean and oh my bad, squeaky clean in the league. Uh, he just led the NFL in passing. 25 years old. So I, I do think that Cleveland got got it down a good bit from what it could have been. Obviously, that's insane to say this is probably the biggest trade return since uh, Herschel Walker was, right. was traded today. but I, I again I would say in today's NFL you really cannot put a price tag on the value of a good quarterback I mean look at what the Bears had to give up for Fields who's, who's still a question mark who's just a very good prospect this was a a young guy who has proven that he can play at a very high caliber in this league and I think the the Brown I, I'm surprised they gave him that contract I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. I was floored by the contract. I, I could not believe it because, I mean, that's, that's kind of how they got back in the race. That's the ugly truth that no one's going to admit. But, I mean, yeah. Cleveland was the first team that all the outlets were reporting. Uh, David Mulligetta and Deshaun's camp had told them, you guys are out of the running. So I think that's that's how they did it. And they, they truly sold their soul for Deshaun Watson. My surprise that they traded the three ones. No, because I, I really do think he's worth that. He's an incredible player, but that contract, I'm still stunned. And you're right now. We'll see how it bites them with this looming suspension. Yeah, and there's the, then there's always that Baker Mayfield thing, just kind of hanging out in the background. Do they hang on to him just in case Deshaun is suspended for the year, or you know, or, or whatever the case may be? But um, you know, it was. I and mean, trust me, I know all about the whole what the price tag was at the beginning of the offseason last year because that was. Uh, you know, number one, the Bears made the mistake of bringing back Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, mm-hmm. and in their desperation, they knew they had to fix the quarterback position to save their jobs if they still wanted to be in charge in 2022. And thus began with Watson, with anybody who was even remotely available. I mean, there was even an article out there about what the, what it would take for the Bears to get Ben Roethlisberger last year. I mean, that's how pathetic oh. it got there for a while. Then there was the dalliance with uh, with Russell Wilson before we settled on Andy Dalton, and then, you know, like yeah, we we gave up some things for for Justin Fields, but based on what we what we gave up and what we got in return is nowhere near what I thought it was going to be. Because when when the the off season began, I was terrified, terrified of the idea of Ryan Pace mortgaging a future that he wasn't going to be a part of to get a player that he was only going to get to watch for a year, like a Watson or a Russell Wilson or anybody else for that matter, or Derek Carr or Matt Stafford or or whatever. Just anybody who was even remotely available was connected to the Bears at one point during the offseason last year, Deshaun Watson being the highest on everybody's wish list. So I was I knew all about the three number ones, the two twos, uh, you know, then we're going to send them, you know, Khalil Mack and uh, or Jalen Johnson and, and Roquan Smith on top of that just yeah. to just to get one guy. 
So, and, you know, I had plenty of conversations about the virtues of this being like a long-term trade, like no immediate return in 2021. But, you know, when we get to like 2023, 2024, and we start getting our draft picks back and all that kind of stuff, then we really got something on our hands because we're making a 15-year commitment here to a guy uh, that we're mortgaging our near future on. And it was just, I didn't want it to happen simply because there were going to be different people in charge year number two. Uh, of that mm-hmm. thing. So thankfully uh, we just gave up one first round pick uh, for, um, you know, for fields and, Field. you know, and when, and now we'll see, you know, how much of it was fields, how much of it was naggy and, and everything like that when we go into the season uh, this year. So, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, Davis mills turned out to be a heck of a pick for you guys. Um, you really number, did like number 66 overall or something. Uh, like that, kind of forced into duty, what, week two uh, against the Browns last year when Tyrod Taylor got himself hurt and, and yeah. had a heck of a rookie season. I mean, he really wasn't even part of the discussion when it came to the quote-unquote five first-round rookie quarterbacks, but if he had to rank them, he did better than most. I think he played better than Justin Fields. You're gonna get, well, I wouldn't, get up- yeah. I, like I said, jury's still out on Justin. It's he's the probably one of the more talented prospects to come out of the draft last year. Oh, yeah. But Matt Nagy had a plan. He stuck to it despite what was actually happening in front of him. So that's the real question. It's like that's why there are questions about Justin Fields, which is like <laughs> did Matt Nagy just blow his rookie season or was Justin Fields, you know, a product of the dominant program that he came from? Kind of thing. I mean, like, I, go ahead. For, for what it's worth, I love Justin. Yeah. Justin Fields is my QB too. I think, I mean, Nagy Na- 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 was so rigid. Even when he's when Andy is the starter when healthy, yeah. I remember that quote. Like, what is he talking about? Don't and like, get we, me started, he, all, he can't play. Yeah, and then he didn't change the offense to benefit Fields. Nope. Just so the Bears, even if I don't, I would debate. I, I didn't love the Eberflus hire for you guys, mm-hmm. but your, your offense is due for it's the very least positive regression just by bringing in an offensive coordinator that right. watches Justin Fields and is willing. Like when you draft a rookie quarterback, you have to change things to make that work. Right. Uh, or what the Texans did is they they were just extremely extremely conservative with Davis Mills, and then they kind of started to open it up late. And that's not my favorite plan for a rookie, but they they protected him in that way, and he looked good doing it. And the tone is totally different than if they'd thrown him to the wolves with a game plan that was meant for Tyrod Taylor. Like Justin Fields is really put out there like he was. Andy Dalton. It's yeah. like you should be doing different things with this guy. Yeah, all year long. All year long it was it was like that. And I mean that's why we as Bear fans are looking at this new at, at Luke Getze and Eberflus through these road colors colored glasses right now because they're saying all the things that Nagy refused to do last year. Like we're gonna tailor the offense to the talent that we have so that we're putting our guys in the best position to succeed as opposed to Nagy, who was trying to fit everybody, the, the square peg in the round hole with his offense, even though it wasn't working out and they were having trouble with execution. They were screwing things up on the field. People didn't know their assignments. were calling useless timeouts and things like that just to try to make sense of it all. And rather than just be like, okay, Justin is good at this, so then let's do this. Let's do you that. Know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just I, like, I like, go ahead. I was going to say, I want, I want to be surprised if the offense looks a lot like last year's Miami Dolphins, where Miami led the league in percentage off play action. Mm-hmm. Chicago should lean in, lean into Fields' legs, how well you guys run the ball, the things that he can do outside of structure. It's, I'm excited to see what Chicago does. Amen. 
Amen to that. I don't know anything about the person now who you hired. Well, we don't know much about him either because Ryan Poles has literally overhauled the uh, overhauled the roster. So there's going to be a lot of getting to know you taking place during the uh, preseason in the first you know few weeks of the uh, regular season in 2022. So speaking of the you know of the coaching and, and general manager situation, um, you know your guy comes in last year, brings in David Cully, and you know, you're the last team to make a hire, and probably the last guy anybody thought he was going to. Higher and then, unfortunately, they yanked the cord on that after a year, and promote Lovey Smith from defensive coordinator to uh, head coach, and also a move that surprised a lot of people. Lovey getting a third shot uh, with a with an NFL team, but you know, how did you feel about that whole thing? N- number one, with the David Cully hiring, then the firing when everybody knew the Texans weren't going to be a very good football team, so you kind of got the results you were expecting. And then you fired him anyway. So I, I really understand what, what happened there. How did we switch to love you? What was the disconnect that, that Cully had to go? Let's, let's start with the David Cully hired. David Cully should never have been hired as an NFL head coach. It was a great story. It was an incredible opportunity. Right. This man, a wide receivers coach for 27 seasons, and no one had given him a chance as a coordinator. And I love the belief. I love Cully. I enjoyed his press conferences. Seems like a really great guy. I'd love to you know, sit down and have a conversation with him, but, in this business, talent shows itself very quickly. We see people, if you can coach, you get opportunities, and you get opportunities fast. Um, and a guy who's a position coach for 27 years, to me, that shows, okay, there are probably some things here, some reasons that you're not being asked to run a whole offense, much less being asked to captain a team. And there was a lot of criticism. He, he was put into a failing situation. Like, my God, it was terrible for, for Coley. But – the team finished four and thirteen, and you say they performed about or my my yeah four, four record wise I say record wise I say yes yeah, they, they performed as expected. But if you watch those games, David Coley lost the team a lot of games. with some of his his decisions. Mm. Um, some of these close one score games, particularly the the game against New England, Davis Mills played beautifully. Um, Tim Kelly had one of his best offensive scripts of the year, and they just coaching decisions they lost the game in the cleveland game after they started 1-0 and they beat jacksonville uh there was a decision that david coley he declined he declined a penalty and then decided to punt and when they asked him about it afterwards he said oh i i don't really know why i didn't why did that i i didn't think about it oh boy uh, so he was just in kind of over his skis in terms of the game management aspect he was a I mean, his, his head coaching style was that of a delegate. I'm going to let Lovey Smith run the defense. I'm going to let Tim Kelly run the offense, and I'm here to really be the face of the program. But he, his game management wasn't enough uh, to supplement that. And then you move to Lovey Smith being hired, and we can talk about the Josh McCown thing. I don't, I don't think it's worth majorly expanding <laughs> on to then do it. Uh, when I was at the senior role in Mobile, and according to you know, I've talked to guys like John McClain, like longtime Houston reporter. Sure, they they wanted to hire, they wanted to hire Josh McCown, but after the, I'm pretty sure the Brian Flores lawsuit pretty much made that impossible from an optics standpoint. And they'd actually asked Lovey Smith to head coach the team the year prior, and Lovey had said no, that he did not want to coach the 2021 team. But after being around for a year, and he looked at it again, and Lovey did decide to to take that head coaching position. So I was as surprised as anyone, but and it might be a weak hire. We'll see. It's all about can, can Lovey Smith, he's, you know, Lovey Smith known for his traditional uh, 4-3 defense, Tampa 2. He's saying he wants to change that. He's talking about doing things like 
having rookie cornerback Derek Stingley go around and shadow the other team's best receiver, which is not something you would be doing like right. in his base. Um, he's talking about playing different coverage schemes. So if Lovey can evolve his defense, I actually think he had the best offensive coordinator hire of the offseason. Pep, Pep Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah, I love that guy. Pep Hamilton was a huge deal. I mean, we're, we're lucky. His, his son's playing high school football in the Houston area, and he's willing to stay. So he had five other, six other interview opportunities around the league, and he, he ultimately chose to stay in Houston. So the, the nice thing about Lovey for, for the Texans that I, I think that I definitely didn't think about when he was hired, but he has brought kind of this uh, this respectability um, aspect back to the organization, organization that was viewed very negatively after mm. the transactions that Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby made together. Um, you know, Casario really nailed first draft in 2021 despite not having a first and second, and then they bring in this guy who's well-respected around the league, and the Houston Texans are looking like um, – like a good organization again. And then, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting, but one thing I want no, to you're say fine. about the win total, you talked about the four wins. I think it was the Texans were bad last year, but the part that they wasn't talked about entering the 2021 season is that they didn't rebuild the way the Miami Dolphins went, where they just let a bunch of undrafted free agents and young guys play. They mm-hmm. signed veterans like Hamu Gruzer Hill had a career season. He's like 28. Christian Kirksey, longtime Green Bay Packer, came in to play middle linebacker. So the players that they got that were they were known average commodities. And when you have that many veterans, you're going to win some games. And I mean that really showed up in the Jacksonville Jaguars game. They we weren't much more talented than them, but our guys were so much more disciplined. Mm-hmm. And when you're up against an Urban Meyer led team, the the veterans and the non train wreck game plan prevailed. Yeah, well, with with Lovey at the helm, I can guarantee you won't have the uh, the inmates trying to run the asylum like they did when Bill O'Brien was there. I mean, that yeah. they got messy there. I mean, how do you run like one of the best young quarterback prospects um, ever, along with one like probably the best receiver in the league right now? You know, just run them straight out of town and then make these ridiculous trades where you're giving them away for nothing. You know, you 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 gave away Hopkins for a second round pick and a and a running back that didn't have much tread left on the tires. I mean, it just it was a move that didn't make sense uh, to anybody for what he got in return for what you know gave up Hopkins. Then you see like right on the heels of it, what Minnesota got for trading Stephon Diggs to Buffalo, and it's just like okay, well, I think we can all agree Hopkins is better than Diggs, and yet Buffalo gave away a king's ransom, whereas you know. The the, the 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 Cardinals gave away a guy they wanted to get rid of in the first place and a, a second round pick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Kings ran Buffalo. Buffalo got the twentieth overall pick. Houston got the forty fourth overall pick, mm-hmm. and David Johnson. I, I think because I mean the Hopkins trade was very bad, but I think it yeah. almost foreshadows the Houston Texans are collectively, or they were collectively, a disaster because of it was the small things that made Bill O'Brien's team. Like trading a third rounder for Duke Johnson is like who was a pending free agent was like the epitome of the Bill O'Brien text. He <laughs> he knew the kind of players that he wanted, yeah. but he was not a good GM. He had no idea how to value that talent in the context of the league. And so when you're constantly trading your third and your fourth rounders for guys who, frankly, they, they don't work out once they're on the team, that's where you're supposed to find starters in the draft, early day three, day two. Um, and then obviously the Hopkins trade was just a cherry on top, but yeah, it's, 
it's going to be a, a much more well-run ship. And that's because it's good to have separation between coaching and, and the GM. And Houston has seemingly hit a home run with their GM hire. I right. Love. Even though people weren't really happy with it in the beginning because it was like it would just bring in another New England guys. Like, haven't we had enough of New England South at this point? But I really do think that he's he's doing the he's doing the work and he's helping the team uh, more than he was uh, more than he's hurting them. Yeah, it was definitely a controversial hire, and the part of that is it leaked that the new Steelers GM actually uh, Omar Khan he mm-hmm. he was the guy that they recommended Houston should hire right. Jack Easterby stuff, you know, whether or not they prayed together. And we all know they did get on a private plane to go recruit Casario. But as long as Casario keeps hitting on picks, and he did so well with his 2021 selections, especially the Davis Mills pick, mm-hmm. that no, one, no one's upset right now. Right. So real quick, I mean, just looking at the, the 2021 schedule, two of the four wins come with a sweep over Jacksonville, week one and then again week was it 15? But then the other two wins you got, you uh, come off the bye on the road, you beat Tennessee in Tennessee, and then you go on the, uh, then you beat the, the Chargers and pretty much cost them a trip to the playoffs with that, with that win. I mean, what, what happened yeah. in those two games? Cause if you're, if you're a betting man, you're not taking the Texans in either one of those games. Uh, so the Tennessee game was played in the pouring rain ah. and Ryan Tannehill threw five interceptions. There you go. <laughs> so, so the Texans were actually third in the NFL last year in forced turnovers. Oh yeah, that's a that's a Lovey Smith helped. defense right there. Yes, and that's something Lovey Smith emphasized. They only forced people say they're like, oh, Deshaun only went four and twelve in his last season, and I'm like, his defense forced nine turnovers yeah. all year. That's crazy. Like that's so, so the Texans were due for some positive regression in the forced turnovers department, and they got a lot of it. Um, and that that Tannehill game was a big reason why they stole a game from Tennessee. And the Chargers, it kind of just looks like the Chargers watching that game. They slept walk into the stadium, and Houston was able to run on them. They, they Rex Burkhead looks like a featured running back in that game, huh. and there were some inopportune turnovers by the Chargers. And the Texans deep, Texans offense was able to stay on the field just long enough that Herbert could not go work his magic. Yeah, forty-one to twenty-nine. That's an impressive win. It wasn't there like a dagger, like pick six or something like that at the end to to kind of seal the victory. Um, I think I think Javier Thomas might have picked him off. I'm trying, I'll be honest. I've I've worked very hard to block out as much of the twenty twenty. <laughs> it was hard. To, I mean, I know the feeling, man. I know the last two years of of Nagy twenty twenty when we were a playoff team for Pete's sake. But even even despite that, it was an embarrassing watching them play in 2020. And then last year was no better. It's like they are ruining this kid. Hopefully, hopefully he's got enough in him to bounce back from this. Like that Nagy just ruined his rookie season, not ruined his career by, you know, damaging him physically and mentally uh, with what he was doing to him uh, last year. I totally get that, that feeling. You had the excitement, though, of watching Justin Fields. Indeed, like, imagine yeah. you're, you're a 2021 Texans fan. You knew you had a lame duck coaching staff, most likely, and David Culley, no talent, and you didn't have a first or a second round pick to watch. So last year it was like, okay, like let's see what pick we get in the draft. Like time to like watch four months of the Texans, and that's that's really how it felt covering the team. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know that we were, you know, we were doing a bit better in, in the talent department going into 2021, but that was pretty much how we felt about going into the season okay. last year. Like, we were not expecting much, like, at all. Like, the, the what we were looking forward to was not wins and losses, but the development of Justin Fields. And then we all realized who we were talking about developing him and realizing that that was just, uh, you know, a pipe dream uh, anyway. So, yeah, once he made his first start against Cleveland, it's like, okay, so 2022, here we go. You know, it's... Because, mm-hmm. you know, five sacks in the first half, zero adjustments, so they sack him four more times uh, in the second half. It's like, yeah, so that's what this is going to be like. Fantastic. Can't wait. So so let's move on to 2022 for you guys. Um, yeah, please. Uh, let's talk about your free agents, uh, free agent hall. I mean, you know, Houston at the moment, not exactly a destination uh, for free agents, but you did, you know, uh, pull in some guys. Um, to to come in, you know, Marlon Mack from the from the from the Colts uh, mm-hmm. comes in. Steve Nelson, the corner from Philadelphia, uh, Mario Addison. That name stuck out to me because he played for Lovey in Chicago at one point. Uh, the defensive end from Buffalo. You got Jalen Reeves, Maben from Detroit coming in. Uh, who out on this on this list of, of additions that are you excited about? Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not very excited about any of the free agents. <laughs> and, and let me preface this that. You're right. Houston's not exactly a destination right now. Right and now, they yeah. They're not about to find any starter that's going to be projected at their position beyond this season. They yeah. went to some holes. So, like you mentioned, uh, Steve Nelson from Philadelphia is going to start at cornerback opposite of Derek Stingley. Marlon Mack looks like he could be the starter, but I would think I love the Damian Pierce pick. I know we'll talk about the draft later, but uh, Marlon Mack's going to get some good carries at running back. And then AJ Cam was brought in to play left guard after his whole career in Jacksonville. So the the their best signings, in my opinion, were guys they brought back. So they brought back Malik Collins as a great interior pass rusher. So he's going to play the three technique defensive tackle. They were able to bring back Desmond King, who had been an incredible slot corner for the Chargers before he came to Houston this past season. And Houston didn't have any good corners, so we asked him to play boundary corner, and that's that's not really his best spot. Uh, they were able to bring back guys like Christian Kirksey, Kamu Gruzier Hill. It's a lot of steady the ship free agent signings, and uh, Casario very much in a in the New England way. They're not going to invest a lot to bring in outside guys. It would appear. Well, it was kind of the the path that Ryan Poles took, at least for this preseason or this off season, uh, anyway. Because Ryan Pace pretty much left the covered bear. You know, we we were we only had five picks. Uh, we only had I think like thirty million uh, in cap space, so not much to. Uh, work with and then you know bear fans not realizing that belly aching about what he's not doing you know to to put his stamp on the team and blah 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 and this and that so uh, I definitely understand where they're coming from on that one on the free agent losses list I got Justin Reed the safety hounds off to Kansas City Tyra Taylor obviously he's gone uh, to the Giants because that's what he does he comes in he hangs out for a year or so and then he's off to the next uh, next organization where he can either be the starter or take over for the starter uh, kind of thing. And um, anybody else on this list? Is, is there any talk of bringing David Johnson back, Danny Amendola, anybody like that? Oh, da- David Johnson's going to retire. I'd be shocked if he came back. I mean, they already, they already gave the rookies number. Damian Pierce took 31. Uh, if, if you watched David Johnson at all last year, he's, He's cooked. I, I think he will not play professional football again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Justin Reed signing, obviously, it's a big loss. Kansas City gave him a good uh, chunk of change at $10 million per year. But he was, I think he was just really emotionally beat up. It, I mean, he enters on a team that's at the top of the AFC or 
I mean, the Titans are probably one of the three or four best teams at worst in the AFC. His rookie season, they go, uh, they're up 24 to zero in that, that, uh, a divisional game against the Kansas City Chiefs and feels like just about everything in his career went wrong from there. He never played as well as he did his rookie season. He had to play for all these different coaches. Uh, he was benched for disciplinary reasons, uh, randomly for two games this past year by David Coley's staff, which was, uh, Kind of a surprise, you know, NFL teams don't do that. That's very much a college thing to say, oh, this guy missed the practice or was late to a thing, so we're not going to start him. Uh, we, we all expected Justin Reed to go out the door. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by ColorCast. Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and to use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on ColorCast every Friday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club 34-7. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink, spelled like Sports Drink but without the vowel. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you we're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the draft class. You seemed excited about that. And, uh, you know, you had the uh, number three overall pick, which is an, mm-hmm. a bittersweet kind of spot. It's like, yeah, you're going to get one of the best players in the draft, but that means that, yeah, yeah you, you, you got to do some work to get to number three and not the good kind uh, either. But, you know, right off the board, they go off and they get uh, Derek Stingley. Was there any talk of Sauce Gardner who went one 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 pick later to the to the Jets, or was Stingley always the guy? There was a lot of talk about Sauce. I mean, I was predicting Sauce the the two months until the day of the draft. There was enough noise that it was going to be Stingley. I expected it to be Sauce. Sauce that uh, Lovey Smith and Nick Casario had attended Sauce Gardner's pro day personally. He'd come in for a top thirty visit. Uh, they uh, met with him otherwise there's a lot of noise around sauce and kind of like the the character things you hear about that the texans love he checked those boxes but ultimately nick casario went with the higher ceiling guy uh every draft pick of his uh this year was from a power five program and uh singly kind of fits that bill and you talk about it's weird having the number three pick but i think casario said it's a it's a weak draft at the top uh, i hated the the consensus that this was a bad draft yeah. There weren't a lot of these standout guys. And what Nick did is 2019, uh, Derek Stingley, his film was better than you could argue anyone in the class. That was the best player of anyone coming out of this draft. And if they can get that again out of Stingley, get him to reinvest and to stay healthy, I, I think they're betting on his talent and themselves to get that out of him. And then refresh my memory with how you got your hands on 15. Because when I was looking it up, it's uh, oh, from Philadelphia via Miami. So 
So you're the third team to own that pick based on this, but what what was the deal that was made to get Texans at 15? So Philadelphia owned that pick from Miami via the Jalen Waddle trade. Right. And then we were at 13. That was Cleveland's pick from the Deshaun Watson. They traded back. Okay, that's what it was. My two favorite players in the draft were on the board at 13, Jordan Davis and Kyle Hamilton. (laughs) I was freaking out in my living room, very excited. And, yes, they traded back. They took 108, 141, and, like, 156. So three top, non-top 100 picks. They moved back two spots. Uh, Philadelphia takes Jordan Davis. The Ravens take Kyle Hamilton. Right. I shed a tear. <laughs> and Houston ends up with Kenyon Green, who, to be fair, is a three-time all-first-team SEC player and a huge position in need for Houston. Yeah, I haven't f- experienced anything like that uh, with the Bears uh, in the draft. The, for me, the biggest heartbreak in NFL draft history in my lifetime for the Bears was the 2014 draft. The Bears are picking 14th overall, and we wanted Aaron Donald. I wanted Aaron Donald. We're all talking about Aaron Donald. This guy's a stud out of Pittsburgh. He's going to be a, you know, be the the new Tommy Harris for us. He can be that three technique and everything. And the rumor was. If he made it past the Giants at 12, he's ours. If he makes it past the Giants at 12, he's ours. Well, he made it past the Giants at 12. And who was picking at 13? The Rams. So they pick Aaron Donald when they've spent literally like four of their last five number one picks on a defensive lineman. They take Aaron Donald. And um, we got a good player in return in, 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 in Kyle Fuller, but we didn't get one of the best players, if not the best defensive player in the history of the league. We were one pick away from getting our hands on him. So that's one that still stays today, especially watching Donald become the player that he's become. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. I'm just sitting, I'm sitting over here hoping Jordan Davis or Hamilton don't do anything like that. <laughs> but, I mean, with Hamilton going to the Ravens, he's almost guaranteed to have some kind of career, right? Oh, he's going to be great. Yeah. He's going to be fantastic. I mean, he's a six four safety was one of the best players in college football but Houston what they did with that pick and from what I've told Kenyon Green was the best player on their board at 13 they knew they could get him a little later but they couldn't go too far back mm-hmm. uh, the next pick at 17 the Chargers took Zion Johnson from Boston College they were the two best guards and really Pep Hamilton's been preaching that he wants to run the ball they're going to run a lot of two tight two tight end sets a uh, kind of set Davis Mills up to be in favorable passing situations uh, it's it's very Lovey Smith, very old school that that's Absolutely. what they want to do, and that's and that's kind of what we got going with Eberflus here. I mean, at least he's a descendant of the Lovey Smith system, being a, a uh, disciple of uh, oh god, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now, Maravich, uh, um, um, Marinelli. That's it, Rod Marinelli, who was our defensive coordinator while while Lovey was here, so. Eberflus is a disciple of him, so he's bringing the the cover two four three defense back to Chicago, and but also the same discipline that that Lovey had, and that he's you know mm-hmm. going to be enforcing with the Texans, and and that we desperately needed here in Chicago these last few years. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's it's worked for a lot of teams. It's it's old school, but sometimes you do just I mean if you can run the ball in this league, you, you can do a lot of things well, and I think their hope is Kenyon Green playing that right guard spot. All he did in the SEC for three years was move people, and all of a sudden that offensive line looks like the potential strength of the team with him there. 
So it wasn't a sexy pick, but it was a good pick at 15. Yeah, guards that high in the draft is never, unless you're, um, what's his name, from, from Indianapolis. Um, God, I can't remember anybody's name today. What the hell is wrong with me? Um, never mind. Um, but anyway, you go into the second round, Jalen Pierce, or Petrie, excuse me, the uh, safety out of Baylor. So you ended up getting a safety uh, after all. Uh, then John Mechie, uh, the third out of Alabama, was an interesting uh, choice, the, your other second-round pick uh, as well. Thoughts on these two guys? Uh, I'll start with Petrie. I love Jalen Petrie at Baylor. Uh, he was the Big 12's only uh, AP All-American on defense for a conference that's known for his offense. Uh, Petrie was an enforcer, uh, plays very close to the line of scrimmage. They call him the safety, but he really played more of a star role, so kind of a big nickel corner with some weak side linebacker at Baylor. Uh, led the team in tackles for loss. I got to talk to him at the Senior Bowl, uh, and he played played super well there against uh, some of the best competition in the draft. He kind of models his game after Tyron Matthew, he says, and he's just going to be a weapon for Lovey's defense. They need more playmakers, and Lord, the secondary was so bad last season. He he fits in very well. Now it's just a question of in Lovey Smith's system, he kind of runs this too high, uh, the, the the Tampa two defense. Will they force Petrie into that cookie-cutter too-high safety, or are they going to let Jalen Petrie be Jalen Petrie? But regardless, very good football player. And then John Mechie, there's definitely been some criticism there. It's a player coming off an ACL tear, and they essentially forfeited all the value they gained from trading back from 13 to 15 mm-hmm. to go from 68 to 44. Wow. But the understanding is that Baltimore loved John Mechie, and they were going to take him at 45 if they didn't get there. So Houston went, they got the, the best receiver remaining on their board, and Mechie looks like a really smooth route runner. Um, he's going to play a lot in the slot, but he's agile enough to play outside. He's not a burner. He's not physically imposing, but um, he's, he's the kind of receiver that wins in this league right now, wins with smart routes, wins with um, kind of having good chemistry with the quarterback and knowing where to be on the field. Um, we're all excited to see what he can do playing next. To, he he complements Brandon Cook, who is obviously a great player, an mm-hmm. all-pro player. And Nico Collins is the guy they took in the third last year. He's our big body receiver. So he fits perfectly in between those two to play the slot. And then your final day three pick, another Alabama guy, a linebacker, Christian uh, Harris. Is he going to come in uh, and play, or he's going to be coming off the bench or a nickel guy or something like that? I think he'll start So in the I guess the three linebackers. He probably, his size says that he's a weak side linebacker, but his athleticism tells me I think he could play middle linebacker. Um, he had some problems putting himself in the right positions against the run, So and he's undersized. I think he's, he's listed at 6'2", but I think he measured in a little under 6'1", so he's a, short, he's a smaller guy, but dynamic athlete, kind of like Derek Stingley in that his best season was his freshman season in the SEC, and he just couldn't play like that again. So I think he'll probably start the season on the bench, and then I don't know what linebacker role they're going to work him into, but by the midpoint of the season, I expect Christian Harris to be starting in one of the three linebacker spots. Uh, and then we move on to day three, and you say the, the, uh, the headliner there is Damian Pierce, the running back out of Florida. Absolutely. So this is I mean, I would say those four guys we just talked about, they're all starters. It might take Mechie a little while because of the ACL and Christian Harris a little while because of the depth of his position. 
But this fifth pick that they had, number 107 overall, Damian Pierce from Florida, I think he'll be the day one starter running back. Another senior bowl guy. Don't say that I'm I'm not partial to these guys because I am. Uh, but he was really underutilized at Florida. They kind of just ran him between the tackles. He was their, their goal line back. When I, when I went to the film, I'm like, is he just a touchdown bolster? But then during this um, – during the, the offseason and the draft process, he really showed he's got good hands on him. He blocks well. And his college head coach probably cost him a lot of money. People think he would have been a day two pick if he'd shown off a bit more of a expanded role on the film. And, you know, you're playing against Marlon Matt coming off a torn Achilles and Rex Burkhead. So the opportunity's there. And then your other picks, you got Thomas Booker, defense tackle from Stanford, your first non like southern player that you drafted because they were all uh from texas you got lsu texas a&m baylor alabama alabama florida then you finally go west coast stanford for your defense attack you go tight end oregon state uh tegan quatoriano thank you quatoriano i was like how do i'm gonna i got the last half i was like how do i start with how do i start as a quatoriano there you go the before finishing off in the south with austin deculis deculis Deculus? Uh, Deculus, Deculus. I'm not quite sure yet. From LSU. So what do you like about those last three guys? Are, are they special teamers? Are they going to make the team this year? What, what do you think? Uh, they're all depth pieces. I, I, I do think that Thomas Booker will make the team. His, his relative athletic score, if you're familiar with that metric, he was at a 9.8 for defensive tackles. So he's got room to develop. Really cerebral um, player with the reviews coming out of Stanford about him. I think he'll definitely stick on the roster as a roti- as a rotational player. Probably the, it's a the three technique spot. I don't expect him to play the one the the one or the nose. Uh, Keegan uh, Katoriano, he I I would think he makes the team, but really they they took him. I told you Pep Hamilton wants to run these these two tight end sets, and I kind of envision him as they took Breven Jordan from Miami a year ago, and he's their receiving tight end. And uh, Cotoriano might be the guy who comes in if he wins the camp battle and he's blocking in those two tight end sets. All right. And then Deck might make the team. But might he, make the team. He's probably a developmental tackle or guard. So maybe practice squad kind of guy? Yeah, he started four years at LSU to tackle, which is crazy impressive. Yeah. But it's just his, uh, the, the measurable. Or we're going to have to see how he holds up against NFL competition. All right, so we move, uh, last but not least, to the schedule. Um, and this year it was, uh, let's see, AFC South, NFC East? Yeah, looks like you got the... Let's see. Well, you are the AFC out. You are the AFC we're the South. A- so we're playing. We have the AFC West this year. AFC West, that's it. And we get the, the Super Bowl. Right. So you start off with the Colts, so nothing like a division game to start the year off, and at Denver... Then you come to Chicago, so we'll be talking again early uh, in the season, our uh, second home game uh, of the year when the Texans return to Chicago. Um, the last visit, not so kind. Uh, sacked Watson seven times, and despite throwing for like 600 yards, we only gave up seven points uh, in that game. It was a messy, messy game for the Texans. But it's the funny thing, man, about that game in 2020 is that it was the first time the Bears had ever beaten the Texans. You know, because they're an AFC team, we only play them once every four years. And up until that point, we hadn't beaten the Texans yet. 
And yet I still kind of feel like we haven't because Watson had like a piecemeal offensive line. And like, I think the highest starter on your depth chart for wide receiver was like number five or something like that. Like you guys were just absolutely ravaged by injuries at that point uh, in the year. And it's, you know, with the, the shape that the roster was in when you came in, it's surprising that we didn't win the game by more. So that's a, that was the last, that was the Chicago playoff team, right? Yeah. 2020. Yeah. He's trying not to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, are you asking about what, what might be different in this year's game? Or well, just I mean, just on? I'm just saying that we, we, when we won that game, you know, I still feel like we're looking for our first win against the Texans because okay, I'm, I'm not really counting that one. Because aside from Deshaun Watson and maybe J.J. Uh, Watt, there really wasn't a whole lot of quality on the roster, whether it be by chance or by injury or, w- or whatever. At that, It was like week 15, week 16 at the end of the year. At that point, you guys were just trying to finish the season, you know, while the Bears were fighting for a for a playoff berth they didn't deserve. And, you know, it was like, yeah, we won the game 36 to 7, but is anybody surprised it wasn't by more based on who the Bears were and what the Texans brought to Soldier Field that day? So, well, I think you have a, a good shot at it, but I, I think it, it will be a, a much more competitive game. I agree. And that's what I'm looking forward to is uh, to see to see what exactly we got going on. It's. Um, I think we played Lovey when he was with Tampa, but it was in Tampa. I don't think Lovey's been back to Chicago since he left. So I, I wonder oh. what kind of reception he'll get when he comes. Because he was only in Tampa for two years. And I think the one time that we did play him, it was in Tampa Bay, if we did play him in those two years. But, um, you know, so it'll be his first return to Chicago as, as a head coach and, and uh, you know, to see what kind of reception he gets. Will they make an announcement? I mean, it's been 10 years since we fired him, so we'll see what that goes. But he's still a beloved character or person in Chicago. It's the, like, worship the ground he walks on. Guy got us to the Super Bowl. It doesn't happen often, unfortunately, in Chicago. So he'll be looked upon quite finely, I, I suppose. But um, that, that feels like a uh, like a video tribute before the game. Sure, kind of sure. Thank yeah. you, love you. Uh, and as for how the game, I'm, I'm so glad we're playing you guys early in the season yeah. instead of late. I I do not want to see you. I, I think Fields is going to be great, and I, I don't want to give that guy a chance to get his feet underneath him before or to get a good read for what Lovey wants to do with his defense and have a lot of film. So I think I think uh, the Texans are going to get Chicago at a good time in the year. Right. So then you got a, uh, a rematch with the Chargers. I'm sure they're looking forward to playing you guys again uh, before uh, on the road at Jacksonville before an early bye week, week number six, this year, what what are your feelings on on bye weeks? Do you like the early ones? Do you want more of a mid season, late year uh, kind of thing? Because a case could be made for for all of them, as far as like you know, oh, it's good we got it out of the way early and blah blah blah, and you know, some of them like a dead center in the middle, and you know, the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl a couple years ago when they had the last bye week available, like week thirteen uh, back in twenty twenty. So, like I said, an argument can be made across the board. What's your your personal take on on when you'd like to see your team get a bye? I mean, I think coaches and players alike say the later the better. Right. You, you, want, you want the bye week to be an opportunity for guys to, to heal if they've been hurt or to rest once they're really tired. And I hate that they have – I think they have five games before the bye. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, they're going to get killed by the Chargers that week. I, I, don't, I don't bet a lot, but I'll be betting on the Chargers to cover after what happened last season. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a shame. The Texans 
the Texans schedule does not do them a lot of favors. I think they get an NFL high three teams coming off a bye. And then oh, wow. theirs is in. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, after the bye, you're at Las Vegas, home for the Titans, home for the Eagles, which is your one and only primetime game this year. Um, you know, of course, barring any kind of uh, flexing uh, that may or may not happen. But the only guaranteed, you know, primetime opportunity for the Texans is a Thursday night game uh, against the Eagles week nine, and that's coming off the heels of a Titans game. So not exactly the one you want to <laughs> have a short week of, uh, you know, after trying to tackle Derrick Henry for 60 minutes. Then you're... I do think, Go ahead. I do think the Texans are due for some regression. I'm, I'm taking the Colts to win the division by multiple games. I, hmm. I, th- I do not think that Tennessee... And they might have underestimated what getting rid of A.J. Brown is going to do to that offense. Tannehill sounds so rattled uh, with what happened in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm not as scared of Tennessee as I was a year ago. But no, that this five-game stretch that you're deciding, I, I do think it's going to really determine how good the, the Texans season is. Quinton Nelson is who I was trying to think of for the Colts. <laughs> like drafting a guard early, unless you're Quinton Nelson, is always going to be a controversial choice. Sorry, that's been bothering me the whole time. So, apologize about that. Um, but um, yeah, starting that Thursday night game with the Eagles—that's a, a nice little trip through the NFC East. There, you got the Eagles, the Giants, and the Commanders. That's going to take some getting used to. Um, before uh, on the road for Miami, then Cleveland at home. Now, that's got to be one circled on the schedule i mean i know there's no animosity toward deshaun or anything but if he's playing it's week 13 so there's a good chance maybe he's finished his suspension if there is one uh, at that point and here comes deshaun watson you know how does how does houston feel about deshaun watson you know because he basically uh, he you know sat out 2021 because of this whole mess uh with the allegations and all that kind of stuff he forced his way out of town so to speak and what what's the, what's the the love level for for Deshaun Watson i mean is that going to be a contentious day when when the browns come to town i mean people people hate that guy i'm just, i'm going to be complete you said there's no animosity there there's a lot of animosity towards uh Deshaun Watson in Houston right now uh the i mean the feeling is that he they they had a very they they made the playoffs and they had um, you know, they, they made the playoffs. They lost that game to Kansas City. We go into the summer. He negotiates this contract with Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien, goes to the podium. He cries about it, thanks the team. And, you know, they mentioned there's a no trade clause. That's probably somewhere in the Schefter tweets. And then we get eight months later, and he, he doesn't give the new GM an opportunity. He won't meet with any of the head coaching candidates. Uh, and then these, these allegations that are repulsive and right. nature come in uh there there's no love lost for deshaun watson in houston right now especially with how he he handled that which was essentially by by saying by saying nothing like he just decided that it wasn't going to work for him after the casario hiring i think that uh i don't know how people in the building well i know like i think i have an idea how people in the building might feel but as for the, the players I mean, he hasn't been in the building for a year, so it might not mean as much as it does for the fans and for the city, but I think people will really be wanting to win that Cleveland game if he's allowed to play. Right. And then the last five games at Dallas versus Kansas City, at Tennessee, and then the divisional games home for the Jags, and then you finish, you start and finish with the Colts, this time on the road uh, to finish it out. So, I mean, 
Dallas, Kansas City, Tennessee. I mean, if Tennessee's not as good as they were last year, it's at least going to be a physical game because of Derrick Henry uh, component, if he's healthy at that point, by the way. But, um, you know, not a, not an easy five, six weeks to close out the year for the uh, for the Texans. No, I mean, it's, it's a very tough schedule. It's a very tough schedule. I think going into that ending stretch, those five games after the bye, so Vegas, Tennessee, Philly, Washington, and the Giants, you know, if they go for him, one of those games, maybe maybe Houston is in wild card contention. Maybe they shock the world, but more likely than not, if they go one and four or two and three in that stretch, the season's over as they really hit this gauntlet of teams that they're going to be trying to secure their playoff bid. Yeah. So what do you what are you thinking? Is, is it a mystery? Like you don't know what to expect from the Texans? Like you're 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 probably expecting more uh, improvement as far as competition and being closer in games or, or do you actually expect to see more than four wins this year? It's hard because the team looks a lot better than they, I think they're due for positive regression on a few things mm-hmm. that they didn't have going for them last year. I think they're going to be a lot better at quarterback. You know, Davis Mills is coming in as the starter. It's his second year. It's his second year with Pep Hamilton and he's going to get all the reps. Uh, Pep Hamilton as an offensive coordinator is highly touted. There's a lot of hype coming in about, hey, if Pep Hamilton has a good year, he could be gone as a right. head coach. You know, guys like Benjamin Albright, who are very tuned in with the league, are saying, look out for Pep as a head coach candidate. Uh, the, the talent they added on Lovey's defense and the way Lovey's talking about changing it up. There's a lot of reasons for optimism, but when you look at it, they're going to be at a talent deficit in essentially every contest they play. There's a lot of hate for the Jaguars, but in the past, the teams that spend the most in free agency, the number one spender, it usually is worth about four or five additional wins the next year. Yeah. The, the Jaguars are better. So Houston's going to have to win in one way. They're going to have to own time of possession. They're going to need turnover-free football from Davis Mills. They're going to need to force turnovers at a similar clip to last season, which I mean, they forced 25 turnovers, which I don't I don't know if Houston fans understand how difficult that is to repeat from year to year. Turnovers are very inconsistent. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's a mixed bag. I can very easily see situations where, especially, it, it's going to come down to Davis Mills. If, if Davis Mills is, I mean, I, I, I said since we drafted him, I, I love that they loved him and they took him in the third round, but historically third-round quarterbacks, you're much likely – you're much more likely to get a Mason Rudolph than you are to get a Russell Wilson. Right. So if he's more of a high-end backup guy, there's not enough talent on the roster, in my opinion, to keep the team from finishing at or towards the bottom of the league. But on the other hand, if he plays like that guy we saw in the last five games and Houston's, their, their strategy works, I could see them getting to six or seven wins. Let me ask you this: if if the if the quarterback class was anything like last year or anything like that, are we taking a quarterback at three and instead of Derek Stingley? I mean, I know you guys feel good about Davis Mills, and and you know he exceeded what you know a third round quarterback rookie would would be would do uh, when forced into duty the way that he was. But you know, if if the if the covered if the you know if the stock was there, would the Texans have taken a quarterback at three and instead of? Uh, you know, holding it down with David's Mills. I, I first like so. Let's say if a guy like Trey Lance had been available at three, like he was last year, mm-hmm. I personally would have been for taking the quarterback. I'm always pro taking the quarterback, but 
this team really loves Davis Mills. Uh, they believe in him from the guys at the top, the talent evaluators, all the way down to the coaching staff. Uh, Lovey Smith seemingly every day is just heaping his praises on Davis Mills. And the thing about hiring a defensive guy and that Davis Mills did have this five-game stretch to end the season is that he, he provided a reason where you can say, okay, we can wait for a year and see more of this while we address other huge holes on the roster. Right. So especially when you hired Lovey Smith, that told me, okay, this is already Casario's second head coaching hire. Casario is going to get put, try to put Lovey in a position to succeed. And they spent two top 50 picks on defenders and a third at a 68 or my bad at 70th overall on Christian Harris. All right. Oh man, I completely forgot. Um, we, um, you are a new friend of the show, so I usually start off the interview asking these questions, but we've gotten to know you pretty well uh, over the last uh, stretch of time here, but uh, I don't want to break tradition. I want to continue it here. Um, you know, the, uh, the the three questions that we ask all of our new friends, where are you from? Where are you now? I think you've already answered that one, but we'll ask it again. And then what is your favorite moment as a fan of the Houston Texans? Okay, so where... Where am I from? I was born in Houston, but I've lived in a lot of places. My, my parents are both ministers. So I actually ended up growing up, growing up more so in Atlanta than Houston. But I was born there. I love those teams. Big uh, Rockets guy, big Texans guy. Where am I now? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a uh, third-year student at um, Emory University School of Medicine. Nice. I'm trying to wrap up my, my MD there. And then my favorite moment as a Texans fan that's tough. I think I think for me it would be it's either the, the JJ Watt uh, the pick six against Cincinnati. That was the one that came to mind for me. Actually, was the the pick six on that, or it was the Deshaun Watson, or as I now say, redacted um, the spin move against Buffalo when he spins off the two guys from the sack and he completed a, a dump off to the fullback that went for thirty four yards and. That's the only reason they beat Josh Allen in that first playoff game. Wow. Yeah, they did beat Josh Allen, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Josh, Josh Allen lost them that game. It was it was crazy. Watt had two sacks in the second half. Josh Allen reverted to bad Josh. It was really the last time we ever saw that. You know, I'd, I'd always wondered, you know, was the was did the playoff loss to Kansas City that year? hurt that bad because it seemed like to completely like the team never recovered up like you're still barely recovering from it at this point and we're talking like the end of the 2019 season here where you, you had a 24 to nothing lead on the Chiefs and that that you know that fell fell apart you end up losing the game by like 30 points uh, or something mm-hmm. like that it's just like the team never really seemed to recover you know in a very extensive way from that loss yeah, I don't think they learned the right lessons from that playoff sure. loss. Sure, yeah. yeah. That's a good way to put it, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I think if you blow a 24-0 to lead and with the, the rest of O'Brien's record and especially the way the team was trending, if you looked at the roster, they probably could have cut bait after that and said, you know, we can't go up by 24 points and lose a game by three touchdowns. Right. That's that's acceptable. Like, yeah. That means that we have talent. And you're, really what happens at, in the middle of the game, that's that's a lot on a head coach. That's the adjustments. Are you directing your coordinators to make the necessary adjustments to maintain your lead and adapt to what the team's going to throw? And really, after the scripted plays came out, and after a few lucky 
uh, poor drives from Mahomes, uh, some great plays from Justin Reed. Yeah, O'Brien Fields. So, no, I mean, the team really never did recover from that, but not for the reasons you might think. Sure, sure. Well, John, I really appreciate you uh, stopping in to, uh, to, to help get this uh, series of mine uh, kicked off. The first hard, first show is always the hardest one to uh, schedule and get going. So, uh, you know, you, you got back to me immediately. So God bless you for that and uh, getting the ball rolling for me. So, All right, thank you for having me, man. All right. And again, where can we uh, hang up and uh, keep up with you in the meantime until we talk to you again to preview week three? Yeah, if you guys want to keep up with the Texans and the, the interesting rebuild going on in Houston, give me a follow at John H. Crumpler. I'm also uh, covering the Rockets as we approach the NBA draft. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of bad teams, but lots of excitement and hope going on in Houston. Yeah, I, I kind of have a sentimental attachment towards Houston. I mean, the team that I have an attachment to is in Tennessee now because my favorite player uh, after Walter Payton retired in the late 80s was Warren Moon. Um, absolutely loved Warren Moon, and, and in my opinion, in the history of the NFL, no one's ever thrown a prettier ball than Warren Moon. The way it comes off his hands, the spiral, everything, just beautiful. And You're um, not giving me Oilers, man. <laughs> I do that today. So, but I was a huge Oilers fan. That was my AFC team uh, for the longest time, and then when they when they left Houston, it was a that was a mess. And uh, so I was happy when the Texans came to town, and I'm also a big uniform snob, so I love the uniforms that the Houston Texans have. I was real happy with those, and they, they still have pretty much the same design right now as well. So not only like was them? I – Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think they're the most cookie-cutter uniforms in the league. The good color <laughs> scheme, but I don't I think, think maybe that's what it is, more the color scheme. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, of the, um, the numbers, the number font that they used. Uh, for them, but I like the the very the very simple helmet with the uh, you know the steer on the side and the Texas uh, star in the eye and all that kind of stuff. It's works for me. I kind so. of like the logo. It's like a it's like a roided out American Texas Longhorn. There you go. Uh, it is a it is a dumb team name though, and a yeah. dumb yeah. dumb horn team, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, we had the Astros and the Rockets. Why why would you continue the space team when you could take a name like the Texans? Yeah, so, here we are. Yeah. I mean, and that was a team for uh, an, or like an AFL franchise back in the day. They were the Houston Texans at one point uh, mm-hmm. before, or there was a Houston Texans, I should say. I think they became the Cowboys, if I'm not mistaken. But um, anyway, so we're dragging this goodbye out. John, thank you so much uh, for coming in. We look forward to seeing you uh, to preview uh, week number three. Yes, sir. All right, thanks for talking to me, Larry. Uh, the future John, the, excuse me, the future doctor, John Crumpler here on the Bearstock Underground helping us preview the 2022 Houston Texans. So there you have it, guys. I want to thank John for coming on to the show, and we're going to get to see him again pretty soon. Uh, we played the Texans week three uh, in Chicago, uh, and I and I, I I like his his take on it. Like I, I'm I'm glad we're playing the Bears early on before the Bears kind of figure themselves out, and you know they're still learning the offense, they're still playing, you know, learning to play together, uh, and things like that. It's an interesting point, um, you know, like would how how different would it be if instead of week three we're playing them week thirteen, you know, when we're embedded, we're months in, you know, we're more than halfway down. 
uh, the schedule and, and all that kind of stuff. We know what we've got so far uh, in this offense and how we're developing and uh, and what have you. You know, we're we're still going to be you know brand new, one and one, zero oh and two, two and zero. Oh, who knows uh, at that point uh, in the year? So. Very interested to see what we're looking at when we get to, uh, when we get uh, John back on the show to preview uh, that game in Soldier Field and um, you know what, how these teams manage the preseason uh, and whatnot and and uh, you know what kind of matchup we have uh, when we get together that uh, you know weekend in September. So uh, up next, our opponent preview series stays into the same place. Opponents this time it'll be the Atlanta Falcons and um, fellow sports drink podcasters. Uh, Rockin' Aries from the What's Up Falcons podcast will be joining us, uh, and that will come out on Tuesday. Uh, then we'll drop um, Same Place Opponent episode number two, moving us along. And then we'll finish up with the 49ers next Thursday. Still working on a guest uh, for that one. We might have our old friend Oscar Aparicio uh, back on the show uh, for that one. Um, we might have uh, a new friend on the show as well, still trying to pin that one. Uh, down, but after we get done with the uh, same place opponents, we move on to the AFC East. So we got the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots. Before we have the NFC East, and then of course we finish up with our NFC North brethren and our beloved Chicago Bears. So one down, thirteen more to go, and uh, it's going to be fun. So hope you guys are enjoying it. Hope you be back on Tuesday to help us preview the twenty twenty two. Atlanta Falcons with our friends from What's Up Falcons. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.